I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke 2 and verse 8, moving through to verse 14. So if you want to just turn there, I'll give you a couple seconds. So Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's interesting that all over the world during Christmas, many of the nation's leaders make a public Christmas proclamation at this time of year. Some, of course, do it out of duty, and Christmas carries very little meaning. But there are people who also make the proclamation and have it, make the proclamation with a spirit of fear and reverence for the Lord. So, for example, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has made eight proclamations as of last year at Christmas time. Joe Biden in the U.S. has made two, and King Charles has even made one. As important as some of these leaders may have deemed their messages to be, as well as some of their listeners, none of them will ever come close to the stunning proclamation made by the angel to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem that first Christmas year. Unfortunately, the world in which we live, and even to some degree the church, has failed to realize how incredible this proclamation truly was. Now, if everyone from the time of Jesus until now had fully understood the magnitude of the angels' declarations, the world in which we live would be a very different place. Because what the, what the angel was announcing was the proclamation of a whole new world leader who had co come to form a whole new form of government. One very different to what the people in Israel were used to and the rest of the world were living under. Now with so many people living in fear back then and with no sense of purpose or even hope, as people are today, we're going to learn why the angel's message was truly an announcement of good news. Now to fully appreciate how loaded the angel's words were, we need to remember the political environment that, that was in existence at the time of the angel's announcement. So if you look at verse 1 and verse 2, Luke records who was in power at the time of the announcement. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke mentions these lead leaders not just to locate 
Christ's birth in history so that you know it's not a fairy tale, but also to set the stage for the magnitude of the angel's declaration about who Jesus was in relation to those who were already in power. When the, when the angel announced that it had good news, the good news was that a Savior had been born who was the Lord. This declaration came at a time when Caesar Augustus believed those titles belonged to him alone. He was the Savior. He was Lord. Now, you may remember this, for those of you who've been part of the church since the beginning of the year, that I did a series on what is the gospel. And we learned that in that series that within the Roman world, Caesar had a good news, a gospel of his own. And his gospel went something like this, that he was the one who had established peace and security for the empire through things like military conquest, development of infrastructure, new policies that affected society, and so on. And so therefore, because of the peace that he established and the security for the empire, he in fact was their savior who had brought salvation to the Roman Empire. The result then, him being their savior, was that people were to put their faith in him and declare him as Lord. The implications, of course, of this gospel message that the people of the empire were to change the way they lived in accordance to his titles that he held. So it wasn't just enough to declare his titles and his authority. It was actually, now that you know that I possess this authority and this is who I am, uh, there's an expectation in society that you now live according to my standards and my de uh, declarations for you. So if you were part of a city or a town and new policies came in, you were expected to live in accordance with those policies. And so you would see a difference in morale and the way things affected society. Now, with this political backdrop, can you see the magnitude of the angel's proclamation? When the angel came announcing good news, it wasn't good news about Caesar. It was good news about the one who had just been born for them. Now, it's important we understand the significance of the titles Jesus was given because he's declared to be Savior, Christ, and Lord. Three very distinctive titles with three distinctive understandings about his function and who he was. So let's look at the word Savior. Savior. The Greek word for Savior is soter, S-O-T-E-R. Why this title was so significant is based on what I've already said. Augustus Caesar apparently loved to refer to himself as the soter of the world. And the soter in the Roman world came with distinguished resumes. For example, you were the peacemaker, you were the educator, you're the reconciler, you're the protector, you're even the healer. Now the angel comes along and he announces to the shepherds that it's not Caesar that's soter, but the one who, that has been born to him, one that they will find lying in a manger. It was Jesus that was truly going to be the one to establish peace. He's the true educator. He's the true reconciler. He's the true protector. He is the true healer. Now, the role of Savior is very clearly laid out in Matthew 121, 
when Joseph is appeared to, when Joseph is going to consider divorcing Mary because of her pregnancy, an angel appears to Joseph and makes this declaration. Basically, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then basically that the child has been um, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then he's, the angel says to Joseph, you shall name him Jesus for he will save people from their sins. The saving title, the soter, is in relationship primarily to saving people from their sins. And I don't know about you, but if I put my, my life on a DVD and hit play, I would want you all to run out of this building as fast as you could. I would not want you to see the movie of my life when it comes to sin. And the good news is there's been one been born for me today. But this angel tells the shepherds that this soter is also the Christ. He's also the Christ. Some of you may, may have the word Messiah in your translations. They're interchangeable. Now as Christians 2,000 years removed, that title might go right by us, but we need to think of it through a Jewish lens. The Messiah in the Jewish lens was the one who would fulfill God's promises to Israel and the world. And so just a few snapshots of what they believed Messiah to be. Psalm 2, he was going to be the one who, well, he was the one who was going to be God's anointed, who would rule over the nations of the world. And all people, from kings to commoners, would submit eventually to his leadership. Isaiah 42, he's the one who establishes justice on the earth, something our earth is crying out for. In Revelation 11, he's the one that inher inherits an everlasting kingdom that will have no end. Very different to Caesar and Quirinius, whose kingdom would have an end. And we know that it has ended because it's no longer in power today. <laughs> Again, this Christ be, would be the one found in a manger. And probably, to me at least, the most significant title the Lord, the Greek word kurios. Now in the Roman and Jewish world, this word Lord meant everything. In the Roman world, kurios was a title of the emperor. It was reserved for him and others were expected to call him that. As the kurios, you were the one and only ruler, you were the sovereign, you were the king. To fail to acknowledge this could lead to trouble for you as a Christian or even a Roman citizen. You remember, we've just come through Thessalonians in our sermon series. In my first introductory sermon, we looked at Acts 17, and the Christians there were accused of defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they want to stir up trouble and get the Christians persecuted, they say they're claiming Jesus is king, not Caesar. But in the Jewish world, this was incredible as well. And I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. So I apologize if you can't follow the, the bouncing ball. <laughs> but Kyrios at the time, as a Jew, was a substitute title for the name of God. You'll remember that when God first revealed himself to Moses in the Old Testament, Yahweh was God's name. Phil Wickham 
sings a song, Yahweh, Yahweh, we like to shout your name, O Lord. Yahweh is the Lord. The Jews believed, though, that God's name was so holy and so sacred, and for fear of breaking the third commandment to not take his name in vain, they would never say Yahweh out loud, nor would they spell it with all its letters. They had an acronym. Think of like Robert, that's your name, and they would put Bob. They would not spell his name. So in Hebrew, Yahweh gets replaced with Adonai. And Adonai is the name for Lord in Hebrew. The Greeks come and conquer the, the Roman world under Alexander the, well, actually the, the world under Alexander the Great. And so Greek is going through the entire New Testament and in that culture. And so now they want to come up with a new word to replace Adonai in the Greek culture because they're not Hebrew speaking. And that word is kurios. Kurios in Greek is the Lord. So when the angel shows up to the shepherds, he is declaring this, I bring you good news. A savior has been born for you who is Christ the Lord. In other words, who you will find in a manger is Yahweh himself. You will find God in the manger. You sp- we often meet in the mornings to pray uh, in town here with other pastors and other people from other churches to pray for our community. Wes didn't know I was speaking on this passage this morning, but Wes is a pastor from God's house in Okotoks. And as we were praying, he made this declaration out loud. He said, you know, I've been thinking about the birth of Jesus, and it really hit him for the first time really this year, and he's in his 70s. He said, you know what? I realize that the creator, the creator of the universe was willing to become one cell in a woman's body. God started out like an embryo, like the rest of us. And then he said, that just blows me away. You will find the Savior, the Christ, the Lord in a manger. Well, it turns out it blew the angels away as well. Because right after that announcement was made, look at their response in 13. And suddenly there appeared with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So right after the titles of Jesus are given, the heavens explode with an angelic choir. And I don't know about you, but I mean as good as our singing is in here, I would love to hear a multitude of angels singing. <laughs> They were rejoicing and worshiping in heaven over the announcement of who Jesus was and what that meant for the world, the role he had come to fulfill. And so now we can understand the angel's announcement and how loaded it was because he's, the angel's setting the birth of Christ and the first Christmas on the stage of world history over and against the political leaders who thought they truly were the soters and the curiosities of the world they lived in. You can see now why 
when these declarations were made by Caesar back then or even our political leaders today, none of them even come close to what the angel was announcing about Jesus Christ. Now remember this too, that Caesar's gospel was in change the, the way that you lived. With the announcement of this message, the expectation of the people in response to this message was that they would change the way they lived in response to who had now showed up in the world scene. He and no one else was to be the true ruler of this world and how we respond to him was to impact the way we live. To live in harmony with him or to live in opposition to him. Those are the only two choices that we have. And the angel's announcement and the heavenly response is saying to us, go Christ's way. Surrender to him. All of our leaders come and go. They have a lifespan of 50, 60, 70, 90, 100 years, whatever it may be, Jesus' reign and his life is eternal, and so is his kingdom. The question, though, that I think is worth asking is, why the shepherds? Why come to them first? Coming to the shepherds signals the value system of Christ's kingdom and the heart of his kingdom. The shepherds were once a notable, um, were once a notable job or, or a position in society. King David was a shepherd. Uh, Abraham was a shepherd. These were all these were all honorable positions and all honorable men. But in the first century, shepherds had become marginalized in society and were bottom of the barrel. And a lot of it had to do with the religious standards of the day. Remember what it was required of you if you were a Jewish person back then. If you were to be righteous or considered holy, you had to keep the law of Moses. But that would mean that you have to make sure that you made sure that you were ceremonially clean. That's why Leviticus has all these rules and regulations about clean and unclean. As a shepherd it would be impossible for you to keep the laws of Moses compared to that of a regular Jewish citizen. You're out in the fields. You have a flock to tend to. You can't head off to the temple on a regular basis. You can't offer sacrifices without a priest, so what are you going to do? Your work wouldn't allow for it. But here's the irony in this whole thing. The shepherds that were looking after the sheep in the fields, such as the ones near Bethlehem, were caring for and providing the very animals that were to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem by those who despised them so that, so that they could become ceremonially clean. <laughs> you want to talk about hypocrisy. Or you want to talk about the definition of religion at its best. There is one for you. But again, the angel's declaration signals the value system of Christ's kingdom. The good news about Christ was even for the marginalized and despised in society. 
not just the royalty, not just the kings, not just the priesthood, but anybody, even the, the bottom of the social barrel. Daryl Johnson is a professor and pastor in BC near Vancouver, and he was saying that he was leading a Bible study at a prison, leading a Bible study at a prison to about 40 men um, at Christmas time, not too long ago, and he was reading this whole chapter and then started speaking about the shepherds and their position in society and how people of society viewed them. At the end of the, of the Bible teaching, a Hispanic man stood up in the back and said, Mr. Johnson, it sounds like this message was first delivered to people like us. And Daryl said, you're right. You totally understand the good news. So, perhaps you feel like a shepherd today. Perhaps you feel like unworthy of God's favor. Perhaps you feel down in the dumps for decisions that you've made. Carrying guilt, carrying the shame of, that society looks down upon you for. Well, the good news is that the Lord has come. A Savior has been born for you, who's Christ the Lord. But the beautiful thing about this message is it's not just for the despised or the lowly. In verse 10, the angel says, he brings good news of great joy for all people. For all people. It's a universal offer to know Jesus. And so I love at verse 10 also, when he makes this announcement, the angel says, do not be afraid. Have no fear. Now, as a shepherd, you'd have good reason to fear when an angel shows up. Because those of you familiar with the Bible know that when angels show up, it often means judgment. And when angels show up, your life could definitely be on the line. And you might think, oh boy, God's come to take the hammer to me and really put it to me. But when the angels show up, he says, have no fear. I've got good news. Now again, we may not fear the angel like the shepherds feared in the, in the fields, but we might fear other things. This world that we live in is pretty crazy, to say the least. Many of us have fears about what's happening. Many of us feel like we've lost purpose. We have no significance and maybe carry guilt. But what the angel is telling you is that you do not to be afraid anymore. There's a Savior that's come that desires to know you and bring peace to your life. I want to conclude by showing you a video that many of you will remember and some of the kids in here have no clue about because we have a totally, live in a diff, totally different time era. But how, have we, how many remember the Charlie Brown Christmas that gets played every year? Okay, awesome. So, Charlie Brown is depressed over the commercialism of Christmas. He's depressed about the commercialism of Christmas. And so he's trying so hard to discover its true meaning. Lucy recognizes that Charlie's down in the dumps. And so she attempts to give Charlie purpose and asks him to direct a play about the meaning of Christmas. 
things aren't going well for Charlie in this uh, production, in these tryouts. And then he yells out at the top of his lungs, isn't there anyone who knows what the true meaning of Christmas is about? Do you remember who comes to his rescue? Thumb-sucking, security blanket-holding Linus. Now here's the cool thing about thumb-sucking, security blanket Linus. Lucy can't stand that guy who can't get rid of his blanket. That stupid blanket. Linus will never put it down. I'm going to show you this clip, and it's very subtle, but I'm going to ask you to look at the clip closely. See if you notice at what point in Linus's message, when he tells Charlie what Christmas is about, see if you notice when the blanket is put down. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. When did he drop the blanket? Fear not. Linus is teaching us that when you realize what Christmas is all about, you can drop the security blanket. So I don't know whatever you got carrying around you, but Linus is teaching you, have no fear. You can drop the blanket because the Savior, who is the Christ the Lord, was born for you.